of the earth, we are blessed and have reason to rejoice uh, because Jesus has saved our life from separation from him, imminent destruction because of that. He's brought us into relationship with him that we might have an overflow of his kind of life, not just in this life, but also that which is to come, or we should say this more accurately, not in the, just in the life to come. Too many Christians just are looking forward to when they leave this body, but what he did for us is not just after we leave this body, but right now we have eternal life. Come on, right now we have eternal life. If you've made Jesus the Lord of your life, you have the very life of God on the inside of you, the life of God, the life of the one who created the heavens and the earth on the inside of you. You have created power on the inside of you. You have that relationship with God. You're not waiting for it. If you've made Jesus the Lord of your life, it resides on the inside of you. You might be waiting for uh, it to manifest more and more. You might be waiting to develop in it a little bit. But in that waiting period, you shouldn't just be waiting around. It's in that place of waiting that we intertwine ourselves and begin to understand that we are one with him. And in that, we begin to have a greater recognition, a, a greater understanding of who we are in Christ. Amen? And, uh, you know, Mark Hankins, we were just uh, with him in some meetings, uh, camp meeting. He always says this, you look a whole lot better in Christ than you do outside of Christ. Amen? You look a whole lot better. I know uh, in Christ, I look a lot better than I do outside of Christ. Amen? And so when we stay in him, uh, you're looking pretty good. Amen? I just want to remind you, uh, August 17th, uh, Wednesday night, David Barton's going to be with us. Next week, uh, Tim and Rhonda Rogers are going to be here. Uh, you don't want to miss that. They're overseers of not only Rama, Mexico, but they have a tremendous uh, growing church in Mexico City. And so uh, we're going to have a great time with them next week. And um, praise the Lord. Ladies, sign up for the ladies' conference. Amen? Amen. Praise the Lord. So, uh, you know, we had... Uh, about two-thirds of our men, I think, maybe half of our men, sign up the last week. And we're so glad that they came. Praise the Lord. We are so happy about that because it was looking a little grim, but it helps us in our faith. So if you have faith, just believe God. Well, we did believe God, but it sure would have helped our faith. You know, we might have been able to push the envelope a little farther. Uh, if men, if they would have signed up, you know, three months ahead of time like we uh, asked them to. So, ladies, you'll just save a lot of consternation for many people. If you sign up, tell your friends to sign up, go onto the app and sign up, and it will be great. You don't want to miss it. It's just going to be a tremendous a time of edification and building up. And so I just encourage you... Um, to sign up for that. Amen. If you weren't here this morning, you weren't prepared with your local church tithes and offerings, I want to give you an opportunity to give. If you're making out a check, make it out to New Creation Church. If you give by cash or debit or credit card, raise your hand. The ushers will give you an envelope. And uh, we so appreciate your giving. Uh, as Alan says, it's just a tremendous, uh, really, uh, our hearts are humbled as we see uh, your generosity, what God uh, has done and is doing through your generosity throughout the world. Amen. Sometimes we just focus in on some things, and uh, God wants to give us a greater vision, a world vision. Sometimes, you know, he just wants to expand our capacity uh, by looking at it. You know, when we were uh, paying off the building, 
Here, you know, we got to a place, and I recognize this. I heard somebody affirm this just recently uh, in their own life. I'd really never heard anybody say this before. God just, I believe, revealed it to me. But, you know, when we started off, we, we owed uh, $1,250,000. And while we were talking about paying off uh, a million and a quarter, uh, man, it just was moving slow. People were giving. They were being faithful, but it was moving slow. We got down to a million. It's still moving pretty slow. But, you know, house prices were starting to, to escalate. And so I was going, God, why is this moving so slow? And he says, because people think in line with their own mortgage. And really, I can tell you, as soon as we got into the realm of people's own mortgage, man, we got her paid off just like that, right? Because all of a sudden, you can relate, you can attach faith, but all of a sudden, you're like, whoa, a million dollars. But God wants to expand our capacity. He wants to expand. Well, what about my life? What about the things that are going on in my life? Those are very, very important. But when he can get us to look at the world, all of a sudden, things really open up. Right? As long as they're, they're, we have a small fence around our life, activity is moving a lot. It seems really super busy. It's going here and there. But all of a sudden, you just open that up, and uh, things don't seem like they're near as busy, right? So, you know, because we have a larger campus, none of you feels like the children's church workers right now. Right? They're in a room with kids running here and there. Right? But if we brought the kids in here, you'd go, oh, my gosh, what's going on? We need, we need more space for the kids because all of a sudden they're in a small space. But when we expand our capacity, you start to say, well, this isn't so bad. I have some room here. But God says, I want you to expand your capacity, start to see the world in a greater measure. And all of a sudden, everything in your life seems to be a little bit better spread out. It seems to be a little bit more manageable. I know that's hard to imagine, but it gets that way when all of a sudden everything's not so pressed in to everything that's going on with us individually. But we begin to expand out. And so it's a, it's a different system. It's the kingdom of God, right? And so when it's the kingdom of God, it's bigger. And we think, well, if it gets bigger, I won't be able to handle it. But he says it just spreads out a little bit more. And really things go into a different, different mode. Amen. So, you know, uh, what's his name? Uh, uh, Ford versus Ferrari. It's really a kind of a cool movie. But the guy's sitting down with his son and he's talking about moving at a speed. And he says, you hit a certain speed which you would think, everything's just going fast. He said, all of a sudden, you hit a certain speed, and everything around you slows down. You start to see everything, right? And so all of a sudden, you start moving at the speed of life with Jesus. Instead of like, man, your hair's on fire. Oh, my goodness, you're moving with Jesus. And all of a sudden, what seemed to be like, all of a sudden, starts to take a different shape and a different perspective by grace. Amen? And so it, it expands into a different realm. And so you're giving, even though you're saying, you know what, my needs right now, as, as you've been generous, we expand into a, a giving into all the world. God is doing something that you don't even realize. God is moving things around. He's actually slowing things down to meet you right where you're at in that realm and begin to take care of things that you thought were totally unmanageable but by his ability, as you got involved in his worldwide plan, by his ability, he begins to take care of 
He said, where do you get that? Well, in the word, he just said, because as people were taking care of all their own stuff, God said, I'm not, not very happy that my house is in shambles and you're taking care of your stuff. But he said, if you would take care of my house, which was a lot bigger, he said, if you'd take care of what's important to me, then I'll take care of what's important to you. And I don't know about you, but I'd rather God be taking care of what's important to me than me trying to take care of what's all important to me. Because he knows a lot more about my things even than I do. Amen? So we're just, uh, we're thankful. I just want to encourage you in that because you have been a part of something that goes around the world uh, in ministering to people in different ways. You've been a part of that with your generosity. And we're believing with you that God, whatever the need is, whatever the situation in your life, that he is causing grace, all grace, to abound towards you. That you always have all sufficiency not just financially, but everything you face, you have all sufficiency in everything, right? And you're able to give out of yourself in aspects of love to needs around you just because you're filled to overflowing with what God has blessed you with. Amen? Praise the Lord. Well, let's pray. Father, we just thank you for every opportunity that we do have to give. Father, I thank you for a people with such a generous heart. God, as they give and as we're able to support people who are going around the world, and even those in our own community, that uh, it continues to increase, it continues to grow. Uh, God, it continues to expand. Lives are being changed, leaders are being taught, people are being saved because of the generosity of this place. And I thank you, Father, because of that. You continue to bring grace into their life for every situation. We believe that over them. We believe that every need is supplied, not according to the economy, but according to your riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Open your Bibles with me to Romans, the 12th chapter. Romans, the 12th chapter. We're going to jump into this. Just a minute. I got a lot of receipts here. I got to get to some money. There we go. Praise the Lord. Romans, the 12th chapter. And so, uh, jumping into the 12th chapter, Paul is returning to some things. In chapters 1 and verse 8, Paul is really explaining to the church uh, some things that have taken place through the blood of Jesus. He is talking to them uh, uh, about uh, really consecration, justification, sanctification, glorification. He's talking about just a number of, of things that take place uh, in their life because of the blood of Jesus. Then 9 through 11, he really gets into talking about Israel. His heart goes out to Israel, how they rejected Jesus uh, as, a, as a nation, as a people, right? They're he's talking so many times. Uh, the Hebrew church, the church in Jerusalem was made up and comprised mostly of Jews who had accepted Jesus Christ. But he's talking as a whole that they rejected him. We talked about that, uh, uh, you know, the last couple of weeks. It, uh, you know, even theologians say, Paul, where did Paul kind of jump off of this track and really get over onto Israel and, and make it a little bit confusing how God appointed some and he didn't appoint others and that really we're not looking at everybody who says they're of Israel or born, you know, from Abraham is really appointed that God actually has the ability as God to uh, make appointments and selections that God wants to make. 
that we don't determine who God gets to choose and who he doesn't, right? And so he's talking about their election and selection. Then he goes on and he says, you know, I would give myself and how did they miss God and the, the excuses, you know, the things that they brought up. Well, I don't think we knew. And he said, certainly they knew. We talked about this last week for us that really, you know, we, we want to say when we run into trouble, well, well, I didn't know. But if we're paying attention to the word, and so he went through all kinds of Old Testament prophecies and he said, actually, they did know. They even knew through prophecy that the Gentiles would be born again, the Gentiles would be engrafted in because Israel was disobedient. God prophesied it all that they knew. And then he goes into 11, and really Paul starts to address the fact that they thought just because they were the chosen people of God, they could live however they wanted to live. And so we have to be very careful of that to know, you know, we might say, well, I'm just, you know, the grace of God covers it. I got saved. I'm going to go to heaven. I can live however I want to live. No. He says you have to pay attention. There's some things really that God wants to show us and that are relevant in there. In fact, he tells us that we should learn from their mistakes and the things that took place with them. And so, you know, he begins to uh, really talk about some, some things in, in verse 33 of chapter 11. He says, oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has become his counselor or who has uh, uh, first given to him and it shall be repaid to him. For of him and through him and to him all things to whom be glory forever. So he kind of went off on these three chapters when he's writing, and he starts to really get uh, deep into his thinking about Israel and his compassion for Israel, how they missed it, what God prophesied and what God chose. And as we ended last week, you know, uh, the one commentator wrote, and he said, you know, the paradox, the, the, the uh, um, conundrum that, that he created was this, that we, we still argue over today, but he said it's supposed to exist, that God is sovereign, and God is control of, of his history, his word, everything that he says, but he created man with a choice. So we're like, well, God's in charge of everything. I don't have a choice. He says, no, God's in charge of everything, and you have a choice. You get to get in on what God's in on, or you don't have to. And so, you know, we still, today, we read stuff and we go, I guess I don't have any choice. And it's like, you do have a choice. And so, because of all this, Paul just returns here now to really start to talk and give exhortation. One writer said this, you first need doctrine before you have exhortation, otherwise you get excited about something you haven't actually learned. That's why we need to be in church and have learning. So when exhortation comes, we're like, I know. So he starts to give a great exhortation about this sanctification, this justification, this glorification that he's, he's already talked about came through Jesus Christ. He talks about the condemnation of sin in Romans chapter 5. So we know that there was condemnation, but in, in that, because of sin, there, there is a justification that comes through the blood of Jesus. Now he begins to really hone in on exhorting them that because of this, there is a different kind of life to live. And so he's calling us to a higher life. The enemy is always trying to get us to a place where we settle for something lower. You know, so many times as believers, we just settle for being beaten up down here on earth because there's going to be a life to come. But that really flies in the face of what Jesus did for us. He gave 
his life right here in his body so that we could have life right here in our mortal bodies. Not when we get to heaven. That's going to be grand and glorious. But he said there's something right here, right now, in this physical body, in these 24-hour days that we live in. There's something to experience that's beyond the natural man, that's beyond the man who was separated from God, that's beyond the sin that you've committed in the past and the condemnation that came through that sin. There's something to live really knowing that you are justified that you are sanctified, that God has glorified you. In Romans 8, he said, listen, whoever God has justified, in other words, whoever he's acquitted, whoever he's redeemed, whoever has he's pronounced not guilty, he said those same people that he's justified, he's also placed his glory upon them. He's glorified us so that we can arise and shine because the glory glory of the Lord is risen upon you. Come on, there's a life to live in the glory of God. It is the mystery that was hidden from the ages upon ages. And Paul received the understanding, the revelation of the mystery. What was that mystery? The mystery was Christ in you, Christ in me, the hope, the expectation of glory. Come on, the expectation of glory. And so he said, wherever the Spirit of the Lord is allowed to be Lord, wherever the Spirit is Lord, there is liberty. And in that liberty, we're not like those under the law who have to veil our face when the Word of God is read or there's still a misunderstanding when the law is read. He said, but the veil has been removed and we clearly with unveiled face behold as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. And as we behold his glory and his splendor and his presence, the Holy Spirit begins a work to transform, to change us into that same glory from one degree of glory to the next, even as by the Spirit of God. There's something going on. Certainly there's a place where we get information. There's a place where we get inspiration. But all that needs to result in transformation of life. He wants us to be changed forever and ever. Come on, he doesn't want us living the same old life over and over, making the same old mistakes over and over. He, he doesn't want us in the same type of relationship over and over. And you can see under the course of this world that the statistically people don't know that, even believers, there's a repeat that starts to happen in their life by experience. It's just that we keep doing the same thing over. We keep making the same decisions over and, and, and over. We keep uh, falling into the same pitfall. And the enemy thinks, I've got them. I just got to run this cycle over and over and over, but he's afraid of you and I having a revelation of the glory of God that we truly are changed and we truly now are no longer going to give ourselves to that relationship. We're no longer going to give ourselves to that, uh, that thing that has bound us. We're no longer going to give ourselves, but we're going to give ourselves over to this newness of life. We're going to give ourselves over to the one and only that changed our life, to Jesus himself. A commitment. Why? Because that's how we're going to experience the release of condemnation and experience being justified. 
Man, I'm telling you what, how, how great would it be not to just mentally go, well, you know, I know I'm forgiven, but truly know I'm forgiven. I'm not guilty. Jesus set me free from all the guilt and shame. He bore the penalty of my guilt, and I gave it all my life to him. And when I did, my guilt was washed away. So no longer does my old sin even bother me anymore. How would I act if I never made a mistake? What would my thinking be if I had never done that wrong thing? Man, there would be no place for the devil to bring condemnation and tell you, what in the world are you asking for? You don't deserve that. Look at the mess that you've made of your own life. Look at the situation that you've had. He's just trying to hold you back. But man, when we understand and experience true justification... Like, I'm justified. And we'll get to the point of this. There's no haughtiness in that when you realize. There's such a humility, but there's a humble boldness, right? I don't have to go around necessarily to other people and go, I'm justified. But there's something you better be bold about when the enemy comes and says, listen, I know the mistakes that you've made, and you don't deserve anything. And you say, listen, I humbly submit to you, yes, I did make those mistakes, but I'm justified by the blood of Jesus Christ. And to be bold to say, listen, that's not my, my past doesn't dictate who I am anymore. So we experience that. And in that justification, we experience sanctification. Come on, I believe the church is going to realize a, a, a sanctifying process right here before we see the fullness of the revival that's being said. The church is going to receive, because of an understanding of justification, a sanctification. There's a setting apart that the Spirit of God does and a washing and a cleansing to make us holy. Huh? And in that holy place that we live, there's something beautiful. Something incredibly beautiful, something incredibly beautiful about holiness. We've just been praying, you know, in the morning, we pray here as a staff and some others come to pray. Anybody can come and pray. We pray at eight o'clock, but we've been praying different things. And boy, we just keep getting on that, uh, the beauty of holiness, the beauty of holiness. One of the things that attracted people to Jesus was his purity. We think that'll repel people. People call us names. Well, they call him names. But they were so attracted to something that was pure. They couldn't put their finger on it. But he didn't have the same sin and which drug him down. And didn't have the same sin that he walked around with a, a chip on his shoulder or, or that stain of guilt or that defeated attitude. No, he rose up. And there was such a beauty to the holiness that he has. He says, we worship God in the beauty of of holiness. Man, when we step into that place of worship, when the instruments play and we lift up our hands and we realize, man, I'm sanctified. I'm worshiping God, not based on the mistakes I've made. I'm worshiping God because of his holiness and what he's done to sanctify me. And now all of a sudden, something beautiful is going on in that, that exchange of praise and worship. There's just something going on there. Instead of like, man, I made another mistake today. And all of a sudden, man, I'm just getting into a place where there's this beauty of God's holiness, right? And then that glorification, that glory of God begins to really be revealed through holiness. 
Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. So here in chapter 12, verse 1, I want to dig in just a little bit here. Praise the Lord. Y'all with me? We're going to take this uh, chapter 12 in chunks. Uh, We won't try to do the whole chapter today. But he says here, many of you are familiar with this, uh, but he says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren. In other words, because of everything he wrote, everything we just talked about, he said, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. What's he talking about? He's talking about these mercies of God, this sanctification, this justification, this glorification, that everything that Jesus has done. He said, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And so now he starts to call on your and my priestly ministry, right? In in Revelation chapter 5, verse 8, it says that, you know, we were redeemed by the blood of Jesus. Now we've been made to be kings and priests unto our God. And so he, he talks, he says, now I want you as a priest of God, to present your body a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. And so the priests of the Old Testament, they understood this, they had to present the sacrifices that were brought to them. But in their presentation of the sacrifice, they always had to make sure that the head of the sacrificial animal was facing the holy of holies the presence of God. And so he said, I want you to bring your living sacrifice and present yourself facing the holy of holies. Now listen, when you face the holy of holies, it's way different than the Old Testament. So in that sacrifice, that was a sacrifice of an animal, an innocent animal that was laid upon the altar to burn uh, in, in, in that way, uh, but it was facing the Holy of Holies. There was a curtain there that no one could go in except for the high priest. When we present our bodies a living sacrifice and not just go, well, here's my life, God, but we actually present our life to him facing his presence we recognize all of a sudden there is no veil. There is no veil. No longer are we boxed out, but the veil's been rent from top to bottom that we might have access into the very throne. That when we present our bodies a living sacrifice, there is in that place of placing Uh, facing the holy of holies, the mercy seat of God, where the blood of Jesus has already been sprinkled. And we're saying, listen, here is my life. There was an innocent life, the spotless blood of the Lamb of God. I can see it right now as I face the holy of holies, and I'm giving my life because of that sacrifice to you. And my life now, because of that blood, is holy. It's sanctified. It's washed by that blood. I'm now cleansed. I'm not giving you an old dirty life. I'm not giving you all of the mess, but because of the blood of Jesus, I'm coming to give you my new life as a sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Come on. And he's talking about our lives. He's talking about giving our bodies 
as a living sacrifice. Our day-to-day bodies. Listen to this. Uh, This is the Message Bible. I like the Message translation of this. He says, so here's what I want you to do. God helping you, take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, go to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing that you can do for him. I want to read this. This is a... William Barclay, uh, writing about this passage, he says, so Paul says, take your body. Now, again, he begins to explain that, you know, even though the Romans and the Greek, really the Greeks, they they were always mythical and, and thinking of things, and so the body to them was just something that would be discarded, right? And sometimes we think, you know what, our body is nothing. Well, our body has caused us a lot of trouble, but when you start to understand the importance of this body, and doing the work and the will of God, Jesus sanctified you completely so that your whole spirit, soul, and body, right? Your whole spirit, soul, and body. So this presentation of your body has something to do uh, that is, is bigger. And so as he was talking about that, really uh, to people who were like, wait a minute, our bodies, what's the significance of our body? Well, you know, if you didn't think your body was significant, God thought it, thought it, his creation, significant enough that he actually came and inhabited a physical body, right? And he gave his physical body. And so he says this, he said, take all the tasks that you have to do every day. Take the ordinary work of the shop, the office, the factory, the shipyard, the mine, and offer all that as an act of worship to God. All right, I'll keep reading. I didn't go over too big. Come on, we want to get super spiritual about this, but he said, listen, I want your everyday life. I don't just want your Sunday life. I don't just want your Sunday morning life. Now, that doesn't apply. I'm preaching to the choir here. You all are here Sunday night. He didn't just say, I want the convenient part of your life. I know you're busy, and so I accept just whatever you can give me. You understand, God. I can only give you this much. I'm busy. He doesn't really understand that. He says, listen, I know what you have every day. And if you give me every day, you give me your everyday life. I'll start to make some things extraordinary in your everyday life. Now, listen, he's about to speak to something that he's going to move into about the grace upon your life. That if we disconnect this passage from that, we start thinking there's only grace that works for me on Sunday And then we don't understand grace, and even when we serve on Sunday, we get tired and we get wore out serving the people of God, but we have to understand this grace that God's put on us isn't just Sunday. It's for everyday living. It says the word in this verse, uh, one, which we, along with the Revised Standard Version, have translated as worship, has an interesting history. It is literia, the noun of the verb literion, you know, excuse my Greek. Originally, literion meant to work for hire or pay. 
It was the word used of the laborers who gave their strength to an employer in return for the pay the employer would give them. It denotes not slavery, but the voluntary undertaking of work. It then came to mean, quite generally, to serve. But it also came to mean that to which one gives one's whole life. Hmm. Come on, some of you in this room are like, I get it. I go to work to get pay, and that's where I give my whole life. For instance, someone could, could be said, Luturium Kilai, which means to give one's life to the service of beauty. In that sense, it came very near to meaning to dedicate one's life to. Finally, it came to be a word distinctively used of the service of the gods. In the Bible, it never means human service. It is always used of service to and worship of God. Here, we have a most significant thing. True worship is the offering to God of one's body and all that one does every day with it. Even on Wednesday, Friday, Saturday, Sometimes we're running church on Sunday just to feel better about what we did on Friday. But he said, come on, every day, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, I give this body to serve him. Real worship is not the offering to God of a liturgy, however noble, and a ritual, however magnificent. Real worship is the offering of everyday life to him. Not something carried out in a church, but something which sees the whole world as the temple of the living God. Goes on to say some things. He says, we might say, I am going to church to worship God, but we should also be able to say, I am going to the factory, the shop, the office, the school, the garage, the mine, the shipyard, the field, the cow shed, the garden, to worship God. Come on, it starts to open up. I believe the Message Bible got that even better, more accurate than other translations when he said our everyday, ordinary, walking around life. So we'll begin to see, and if you have even begun to read a little bit about, about uh, multiplication, uh, John's book about the grace that's upon your life, he's talking about these graces that expand past the four walls of the church, which then all of a sudden starts to make sense when we give our life, our everyday life as a living sacrifice that's holy and acceptable to God, right? Holy and acceptable to God. He says that's your reasonable service. That's your act of worship. It's just reasonable. And we bring it to God as holy. Right? To be acceptable. That word really acceptable. Um, again, it's a Greek word that I really uh, can't. Eurysterum. Um, anyway, it's a, count, it's a compound word that means this. It means well approved, eminently satisfactory, extraordinarily pleasing. 
He said, listen, when I give my life every single day to God, I'm doing it to be extraordinarily pleasing to him. Paul said, I have this concept after what Jesus did for me. He said, I studied all my life. I worked all my life. I became a Pharisee among Pharisees. I became a doctor of the law. I worked very hard at it. He said, and and I'm not discounting it, but in comparison to knowing Jesus, it doesn't amount to anything. He said, when I realize that this fellowship that I have with Jesus, I live every day. He said, I even look forward to when I, when I pass from this world, whether I'm in the body or out of the body, my whole motivation in life is to be well-pleasing to him, that my life, my actions, my day-to-day living would be well-pleasing to God. Praise the Lord. Come on, there's something supernatural that will begin to happen. You all are quiet. I don't know if you're listening or if this is a little bit boring to you because you've already, you're, you're already doing it every day. And so um, I'm happy about that, that you are. Um, but if you're not, just understand, this is not to, to make you feel like, oh, my God. It's understanding that when you do that, the stuff that happens day to day begins to be transformed. The way you see every day begins to be changed. The joy that you can wake up and the expectancy of every morning that when you wake up because of what God is doing not only for you but what he's doing in you, what he desires to do through you at work, whatever you're doing, the grace is upon your life to be manifest as of God, not of yourself, begin to explode onto the scene. That's what Paul's starting to talk about. We can talk about sanctification all we want, but when sanctification shows up in your daily life, we can talk about justification all that we want, but when justification shows up in your day-to-day life, when we can talk about glorification all that we want, when the glory shows up in your day-to-day life. Many of you know that prophecy from Tommy Hicks, you know, clear back in the 60s, talking about the church arising in that, you know, it's had movements of God, and all of a sudden the enemy uh, does that, but there's an arising of the church of Jesus Christ, and he says when that arising comes and the glory meets it from heaven, and there's this liquid fire going, it's just like, he says, the, 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 the washer women, the ditch diggers, he goes through this whole thing just like this, he said there's something coming from heaven that no matter where you are and what you're doing, there's a glory of God. There's a fire of God upon you, and it's not just relegated to the four walls of a church building, but God has wanted to spread it out through you to somewhere else. Not to set up your own ministry moniker, but for people who God desires to reach with his glory that they see the goodness of God. They see the glory of God in us. They see that we've been justified and sanctified and forgiven, and there's no more guilt and shame. And they say, how did you get that? And you say, it's not of me. Don't be thinking about me. It's of what Jesus did for me. He was so good to me. And they're like, man, if he was that good to you to wash the guilt and the shame and the problems and deliver you and set you free and make you whole and heal your body and restore your mind, man, I want that Jesus. And it turns them to repent. Amen. Come on, he's talking about something significant. We've kind of just read over it, but he says, I want you to just do it, and I want you to see what takes place. He said, and do not be conformed to this world Do not be conformed to this world. Another Greek word that starts with an S and ends with an O. 
that I can't pronounce, but you can look it up. Now listen, this is what he's saying. He's saying this, don't be conformed to the world. The act of an individual assuming an outward expression that does not come from within him. He said, listen, you have been justified and sanctified. You are now a new creation in Christ Jesus. Do not assume an outward expression that does not come from within you. The expression of the newness of life is what comes from within you. Quit taking on that, that masquerade of the old man. There's something on the inside of you that lights with the light of God. There's something on the inside of you that is bright, that you take into the world with you, that is the light in the midst of darkness. And he said, we are a light. We should not put it under a bushel. In other words, you shouldn't take your new life and put the old nature on top of it like a lampshade. He says, cast off that old thing. Don't be conformed to the world. Don't take on the expression of the world, for that is not the expression that is coming from within you. There's a whole new expression coming from the inside of you. There's an expression of life, of love, of the grace of God. He said, but be transformed, be changed by the renewing of your mind. Be transformed. Be changed into that very image. Be changed into that very expression that is on the inside of you, that the Holy Spirit is working on the inside of you. He's working something that only he can work. He's working that nature of love and joy and peace and goodness and gentleness and meekness. You say, well, I'm not a very meek person. He's changing you. You're to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We're to be looking at the Word of God every single day to begin to realize and to know what it is that Christ has done for us, not just to know it, but to be able to live it by the power of the Holy Spirit, not by our own existence, not by our own effort, but by the power that the Holy Spirit gives you to walk in love. He said, for this reason, you begin to look at the Word of God. You begin to look into the Word of God every day. You begin to look into this mirror. You find out I'm being changed from one degree of glory to the next. I'm not the same old person that I used to be. I'm not merely a human being. I, I am human, but I'm also God-like in that nature, so my life has been changed. And when I find that out, he said that you might prove it or that you might approve it. So as you begin to study the word and obey it, you actually put that word to the test and you prove that what God's will is for your life. That it's not to live like the world lives, but the will of God is for you to live in justification, sanctification, and glorification. It's for you to live under the grace and the influence of the Holy Spirit, not the influence of this world. So, well, I'm trying to do that. He said, but first of all, go ahead and give it all over. Give, give your everyday life to him. Everyday life to him. My getting up, my going to sleep, I give it to him. Man, some of us would be really good if we gave our going to sleep life to him. Some of those nightmares, some of that insomnia would stop if we just gave our sleep to him. He gives his beloved sleep. Some of us wouldn't wake up so grumpy if we gave our waking up life to him. 
Some of us would be more productive at work if we gave our going to work life to him. Come on. Praise the Lord. I'm preaching better than your amen. All right, so Paul gets, he gets to going here. He says, so I say through the grace given to me, to every one of you who is among you. So Paul starts to talk about something that's powerful. He's about to get into some things in the body. So I'm going to take just a little break. You'll, you'll, if you've read this at all, you'll understand that Paul, right after he begins to talk about uh, the members of the body, the graces that are upon your life, he talks about love. You'll look in, in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 12, uh, that right after chapter 12, where he talks about that we're members in the body, differing from one another, but every one of us is important, he talks about love. Every place he begins to talk about the diversity of the body and the graces that are upon our life, he doesn't lead it, he wraps it up with love. Why? Because with such diversity in the body, such differences, such powerful graces that come upon each one, the tendency is to begin to focus upon your part, what your gifting is, what your grace is, and lose sight of the body. And when you're focusing on just you and somebody else is focusing on just them, then we begin to, by human nature, equate and compete. And all of a sudden, love goes out the window and it becomes about us instead of about him and the body. So Paul, really, he starts to say right here, he says, listen, I'm going to start to instruct you by the grace that's on my life. I'm going to begin to correct and give you some information, not just because I'm going to give you information, not just because I'm going to correct you, but because of the grace as an apostle who has seen and knows Jesus Christ, I am going to give you direction now because of the grace that's upon my life. So he was saying the grace that is upon my life is different than the grace that's upon your life. Even as we get into it, we'll talk about it a little bit more within the body of Christ. But all of a sudden, we get to thinking about ourselves. We get to th be thinking about our gifting, and we start to forget about other people's giftings in the supply of the body. There's so much offense that has come into the church over people trying to find their grace in the, in the body and getting offended because nobody notices it. Yet the body, the, the Bible says your gift will make room for itself. Now, let me just break that down for some of you that know. You know, it's an Old Testament scripture, and he's actually talking about when you come to the house, bring a gift, like a present. <laughs> but there's a significant concept to that, right? So we found that out in different places. I think it's Greece especially. You don't go to somebody's house without bringing, you know, some baklava or something. You bring a gift. But he says, listen, when you show up at somebody's house, if you bring a gift and it's a nice gift, that makes room for you. You get to sit down at the table. People like you. Right? So the gift does something. But if we also understand that 
instead of saying, you know what, I want people to make a big deal and notice the gift and unwrap the gift, it just says the gift will make room for you. Sometimes we're just, we, we, we don't know, and this is significant, I believe, for me to say as we launch into this, is we really aren't secure in our gift and allowing it to work and make room and bless other people. We're wanting somebody to notice it and promote it, and when it doesn't happen, we're easily offended because we got out of love concerning this and we got into us concerning this. And then it begins to hinder the body and the effectiveness of the body. But when you realize and are confident in the gift or the grace that is upon your life, there's something that takes place through that confidence that it begins to release itself to people that God loves. And it starts to expand its influence based on your utilizing the gift. Something happens concerning faith that becomes faithfulness, that when faithfulness towards the gift, there's an expansion, there's a maturing of the gift, and there's an expansion of the gift, and in that there's an expansion of the influence. But most of us want uh, to be noted so we have greater influence, but yet we don't have confidence in the gift. And so all of a sudden, the gift begins to not bless people as much as it could. And many things happen within the body. We want to get outside of the body or, or, or know that, but some things happen within the body of the grace that takes place. So Paul is saying, listen, I'm going to tell you something here. By the grace that's in my life, not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. Right? In other words, don't start thinking, you know, there's a number of translations there, don't think more highly. And then it goes back and translators say, it doesn't mean don't think too lowly, but don't think too highly. In other words, there's a proper estimation of the grace that is upon your life. And the proper estimation of the grace that is upon your life is in all humility to know that there is the grace that's upon your life, but it's not from what you've done, it's from the Holy Spirit of God. It's from the Holy Spirit of God. And so there's just something that begins to take place when we estimate that grace. He goes on to talk a little bit about that, that grace that's upon our life. He, he says, you know, it's just like that, that working within the body. And so there's things that go on really to develop that gift and, and that faith within that gift. And I'm going to go back to this. But understand this, faith and faithfulness always go together. And so there's a development of things that take place. There's things that go on. Uh, really, most of the people that you see through the Bible, I'm not saying that there's 15 or 20 years that have to take place, but when you begin to look at people who served or raised to a position uh, in really a high level of gifting or leadership that God gave them, uh, you know, uh, uh, Joshua waited 40 years. He trained for 40 years to lead the children of Israel. He was going to lead millions of people into the promised land and divide their inheritance. So it took a long time uh, to be trained for that. Elisha trained under Elisha somewhere between, uh, uh, you know, people estimate 8 to 15 years that he followed after Elijah. 
He didn't just all of a sudden pop up one day and have a double portion. He walked with Elijah. He trained under Elijah. He, he learned about what Elijah was doing, how he heard God's voice. He was learning from another through relationship for about 15 years. And then when he said, man, uh, there was something going on on the inside of him. He was like, that something in me is knowing something's going on with you. And so Elijah said, what do you want from me? As they were traveling around, what do you want from me? And he said, why? Elijah said, why don't you just stay here? I love that. I always love that verse. Why don't you just stay here? Why don't you stay behind? I mean, I'm going to be traveling a lot. I know it's going to wear you out. Why don't you just stay here? Most Christians would say, thank you. Oh, God, thank you. I'll just stay here. Somebody will notice my gift here. He said, man, surely as the Lord lives, I'm going wherever you go. I'm going wherever you go. You know, he's going around. People have the same estimation. They start saying, you know, you know, your master's going away. You know, your master's going away. You always have all kinds of voices trying to, you know, tell you what's good. But he kept following him. He kept following him. And, he, and finally he says, what do you want? And he said, I want a double portion of what you got. He said, man, what you're doing is great, but I see a need, and I want a double portion. And Elijah said, you have asked a very difficult thing. In other words, he said, it's not something I can really give you. But if you, if you are with me when the presence of God shows up and takes me away, then you'll get that mantle. Man. And you know, when he got that mantle, it's a little interesting. When he got that mantle, he didn't grab it. He didn't go to the, the Jordan River and go, come on, world, here comes the God of Elisha. No, he said, come on now. It's the same God. Here comes the God of Elijah. Same God that was on Elijah. Same God that's on me. He didn't say, that guy's gone, now it's my time. He said, there's an anointing that came through faithfulness to the call. Faithfulness to develop the grace that was upon his life. Jesus, knowing who he was, looking into the scripture, knowing who he was. Luke chapter 2, he's 12 years old. Uh, many believe, uh, you know, we're Israel. Uh, the rabbi, that, or the, the one that was leading us around the tour, he was talking about this, this time. Even the Jews believed that Jesus was being bar mitzvahed at this time. They went to Jerusalem uh, for his bar mitzvah. And so he's at his bar mitzvah. He's being determined that he's a man. He's not just a 12-year-old kid being rebellious. He's a man now. And so he's sensing, like, I'm a man now. It's time for me to step up. So his parents leave to go home with the whole family, and uh, they go two days' journey away. Praise the Lord. I always say this. I, I mean, if you've been here a long time, you know, uh, but it just always, it amuses me, you know. We lose our kids in Walmart. We panic. Mary and Joseph left God's son. They lost God's son. Man. And they were panicked. They went back and they found him sitting with the Pharisees, sitting with the, 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 the leaders of the nation talking. And they came and she said, what are you doing here? You have troubled us. And Jesus wasn't being rebellious. He said, listen, it's my time. And she said, no, it's not your time. You're coming home. Now she knows who Jesus is. And now Jesus knows who he is. But she said, there's a little bit more development and faithfulness 
to what you're going to do. And what happened is, is that Jesus went home. Listen, Jesus didn't get, go home and say, when I'm 15. Jesus went home for 18 years. For 18 years. And from that point that he knew what he was supposed to do, that he was determined that he was a man, for 18 years he submitted himself, he was faithful to those who led him, and he was faithful and he developed in wisdom and stature and favor with God and with man. And interestingly enough, when it was time for him to step into his ministry, when he was 12 years old, he said to his mother, what do I have to do with you? I must be about my father's business. Then they're at the wedding at Cana of Galilee, and she said, to the people around him, uh, do whatever he tells you to do. And he looks at her and he says, what are you doing? It's not my time. Now figure that. When he's 12 years old, he thinks it's his time. When it's 30 years old, now he sees the magnitude and responsibility of about what he's about to step into. And it was his mother that said, now's your time. You release what's in you right now, and a miracle's about to happen. Come on, there's something that God does within the body to develop grace and through faithfulness of it. And there's many different graces that take place. I'm just going to use this one example, then I'm going to go on and we'll close here pretty quick. So I was just talking to her today because I was thinking about it. Um, uh, some things that are going on with Paige right now. So I just asked her, I said, without the local church body, <clears throat> would, you be, would you be doing the things that you're doing right now with the grace that's upon your life? And she said this, if I say this wrong, just wave me down. Uh, she said, I wouldn't have even known there was a grace on my life without the local church body. So sometimes it's in the local church body, we start to know and get stirred. I have a gift in my life, but we just jump out like Jesus was at 12, but he said there's a development of that. And when there is, there begins to be a confidence in the grace. So just in one area, I'm just going to say in this one area, I don't know what God's going to do or try to limit it at all, but she has a grace for business. She has a grace for business. And in that grace for business, there's a drawing people in. And now she's starting to teach that to others. She's starting to spread that. But in that grace, there will be a, a change in people's lives. There will be something for godliness. It may move over into what we would look at as more of a ministry, but it started to take place and to grow in her in a different way. But it started within the local church body. It's a member of the body. And realizing there's something more on my life and it may turn into something, what we would call ministry, but it has to be lived out in your day-to-day -day life to recognize how big it can get. And so in recognizing there's a grace in my life that I could apply to business, all of a sudden I realize, you know what? God's doing something in my life. I'm just going to play this out for you. And then God's doing something in my life. And you know what? I see it happening in business. I start listening to the word. I start listening to leadership. And this could happen in my life. And I could take this and apply this to my business. And, and all of a sudden, she might not have thought so, but there's a confidence that I could do this. There's a confidence that I could start my own business. And all of a sudden, wow, 
we could do something else. And there's a, now we, we broaden out. There's a confidence that wasn't there before but is now. But the grace was always there. But the operation of the grace comes through faith. So a lot of people sense there's a grace, but they don't develop and end up understanding the measure of faith that goes with the grace. And so Pastor Tasha was saying this morning, you know what, the devil's after our faith. And we always think about that. Well, you know, I'm believing God for healing and and I'm believing for Jesus. But there's even more than that. Whatever the grace is, whether it's financial grace, whether it's grace for healing, whether it's grace for business, whatever grace for, for ministry, whatever the grace is, you can't just have grace. Grace is available, but it's always accessed through faith. So you can't actually step into your gifting or your grace except faith. So if the enemy can attack your faith, he can keep you from rising to the level of grace. You may know you have a gift. You may be expecting people to notice it. You may be looking for somebody to promote you. But when you have confidence in the grace, God begins to do something. And if you have confidence in the grace, it doesn't matter who's watching. You are faithful to develop the grace. Because it's not of you, it's of him. And you're always looking to him to say, what's that grace? So Pastor Tasha did this amazing job this morning of talking about the body. It was amazing. And if you've been here, you're like, man, that was awesome. She's anointed. But what you don't know is she hasn't always had faith in that grace. So there were people that came to the church that began to speak by unction of the Spirit of God concerning the grace that was upon her life. And I'm just telling you, a grace upon your life without faith can create all kinds of disturbances. And as just an innocent agent of God, being who I was, being a husband and being a pastor, I started to dread the day that God was going to send somebody because I knew they were going to say it again. Why? Because faith comes by hearing and hearing and hearing by the word of God. But every time somebody called her out and had a word from God about the grace on her life, we would go home and she would be so tense that if I said anything remotely related to her stepping out, all the walls went up. I was like the devil himself. (laughs) But then all of a sudden, one day, faith in the grace started to come. And the estimation of the grace generally comes from the receiver of that grace. The estimation of the grace doesn't actually come from her. In other words, she doesn't say, look, look at me, I'm a great teacher. I should be teaching more places. I should be teaching around the world with this grace that's up on my, I don't know why anybody doesn't come and ask me to teach. I'm a great teacher. No. She always has this estimation in this really almost this tension that works in her that this grace is from God. This is not really, you know, something I've really pushed or desired or pushed my way into. This is something that God placed upon me 
And I believe, you know, again, I'm, I'm, I might be speaking out of turn. I don't think I am. Uh, uh, but really, there's a place where she always has to say, if this is of you, if this timing is of you, if you've given me this to teach, then God, I will do it. Praise the Lord. So let's read on. I got a little ahead of that for a reason. He said, uh, I'm speaking according to the grace uh, is upon my life that you not think more highly of yourself than you ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. And so people have gone over this over. Well, that's just saving grace. Everybody has that. Well, it's connected to that, but it's just what I said. There's a measure of faith that God gives you that goes according to the grace right? So Ephesians, he says it in a little different way. He says, listen, there's grace for each one of you according to the measure of Christ's gift. So in other words, as you begin to study it out, so let's just say, for instance, let's just say uh, uh, Shane says, you know, I have a grace uh, of prophecy or to prophesy on my life, but I'm I'm not sure about that. I just don't know. And again, prophecy, and we'll get into this a little bit, is just preaching in the New Testament by inspired utterance. It's not a foretelling. It's a foretelling of God's word with an unction from the Holy Spirit of God. But he's like, you know, I'm, I'm studying a lot. I'm doing that. And Jerry over here, he's been preaching for years. And, and because he's been faithful to proclaim and to say what God said, you look and say, wow, man, Jerry is just, I mean, he's, he's going all over, he's teaching, he's doing a great job. Well, he didn't start that way. There was a measure of faith, confidence, and he began to be faithful with that grace, and he developed that faith, that, that grace, to a maturity, and there's a different measure of faith in him. So sometimes we just think, well, if I'm there, I should be where they are. No, there's a measure of of faith given to you to access the grace. And so if you don't start having faith, the measure of faith, you just look at somebody else and say, I want to be like them, pretty soon, then you are the I saying, I should be a hand. Right? And so to estimate and understand the grace, right? So many people have a, a, a feeling or an understanding of grace, but they begin to move over into other people's graces. That's why he starts to talk about and expands upon the grace that's upon your life. It isn't just a ministry grace, but don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to. Don't begin to think about the grace that's in each individual's life, not just your own life. Begin to think about the honor of the grace that's on other people's lives and where they are and where their faith is and where the development process is. Because if you don't, you begin to think of yourself more highly, you begin to think, you know what, I could do that grace better than them. You know, there's pastors all over the world that people really uh, uh, think they could pastor better. They're always telling pastors how they should pastor. But that's thinking a little bit more highly of yourself than you ought to think, since you're not graced to pastor. right? There's people telling people how they should serve all the time, but their grace isn't to serve. 
Right? All of a sudden, we start to think more highly of ourselves. Yes, one is according to our grace. It's me. It's not the grace of God. But there's also another way to look at it and say, you know what? I'm thinking I should tell you how to operate in your grace when that's not my grace. But we all begin to think and understand, man, God has done something super amazing in my life. That right now, I've been separated from my old life of struggling to attain and measure up and be somebody because I was born again. And I don't have to be somebody to everybody because he's made me somebody. I know who I am in Christ, and I don't have to compare that with anybody else. I am his, and he is mine, and because of what he's done for me, I'm honored and humbled. But I also know that I'm not just barely getting by, that when his life came on the inside of me, there was a grace, there was an empowerment to do beyond what I physically, mentally, and emotionally could do on my own. There's an empowerment that's growing on the inside of me for a specific purpose in my day-to-day life to minister to someone else. And your day-to-day life may grow up into an office or a ministry place. Your everyday life may encompass Sunday serving in the house of God, but it goes beyond that. There is a grace upon your life wherever you are in day-to-day service that when you wake up and you give that all to God, God empowers you by his grace to be supernatural and extraordinary wherever you are. doesn't matter if you're taking out the trash. It doesn't matter if you're an electrician. It doesn't matter if you're at the swimming pool. There's something going on on the inside of you that is of God. And when we humble ourselves and estimate there is something on the inside of me, then all of a sudden it's not about, and, and thank God for praying in tongues. I don't want to confuse people. You know, we'll weave in and out of this. But it's really that grace and that confidence in the grace to do exactly what she was saying this morning, Pastor Tasha was saying this morning, that when you're troubled, I realize that there is a grace and anointing upon my life that when I put my hands on you, I can't do anything anyway. But there's an anointing upon my life that is transferred from me to you. And I don't have to have a hook of a shundai. I don't have to shake all over. I don't have to declare and prophesy. uh, uh, Thus saith the Lord God Almighty sometimes. It's just the love of God being transferred from me to you that changes your life. Sometimes there's a declaration of what God has said. But sometimes God just wants to touch somebody's life with his love. But sometimes it's insecurity that makes us have to have a hookah mashundai or really an immediate affirmation. Did I do the right thing? Did somebody notice that there was something? Did somebody notice a change when I touched you? Did you notice a change when I touched you? I just got to know. Was there a change when I touched you? Why? Because we're not quite confident in the grace. We're confident that we are anointed. We are anointed. Then we follow him. If he says, just go up and show compassion to them. That really defeats the purpose. And I know we've all done, well, I'll just say I've done it. I don't know if you've done it or not. So when I say I do it, you can go, man, you are really stupid. And I agree with that. That's all right. Thank God for the blood. But, you know, to just, to, to, to just walk up and he, he just says, you know what, I just want you to show compassion on them. To come up and say, you know what, it's all right if I show compassion on you because the Lord sent me over here to show you compassion. So we let them know what we're about to do before we do it. 
Well, that gets a little awkward if they don't sense your compassion. You know, sometimes you just do it out of desperation. I ministered to that guy, you know, in the park one night. Uh, he said, go minister to that guy. And he was a, he was a pretty, uh, he looked a little dangerous to me. And all the lights were turned out. So I just said, you know, uh, I believe the Lord sent me here to talk to you. There's, there's some affirmation in that, you know. And he just said, wow, I was asking God this morning, if, if, if you're real, send somebody to tell me. But I was kind of just standing about distance to go, you know what? I'm just going to tell you God sent me. So if you have any ill motives, God's on my side. <laughs> if you're going to punch me right now, God's on my side. Come on, there's something extraordinary at work in you. You've been justified. You've been sanctified. You've been glorified. So when we pull that down, that knowledge of that down, and we say, here it is, man. My life, my body, my actions. They belong to you. And I'm not going to be conformed to this world anymore. I'm not going to live a life that does not represent what's on the inside of me. Well, I don't know what's on the inside of me. That's why I'm going to renew my mind. And I'm going to start enacting in obedience to you. And when I start to find out that the Holy Spirit's doing something in me beyond me, I'm not going to think that's of me. I'm always going to remember it's something God's doing in me, what he desires to do through me. So in that faith that I have, he can develop further what he wants to do through me to minister to people. Amen. And it works within the body. And it begins to work out, as he says, the love of God. And it begins to be where we don't take an offense at anything and we overcome evil with good because of the life that's in us. Why don't you stand up? Father, we thank you, we praise you, we magnify you, we glorify you. Holy Spirit, you're the helper. You're the only one that can help us. I thank you for graces in this room that you are developing. Each one, as you said right here, each one is at a different place of understanding, confidence, that you're increasing as they begin to know and to see that measure of faith that will cause them to access the grace that's upon their life. Holy Spirit, make that real to them. There would be that confidence to move and to operate and to grow and to walk in a progressively higher level, going from one degree of glory to the next, even as by the Holy Spirit of God. There's much to be done and many people to be reached. We come together and we draw those in that we've ministered to into the local church body to grow and to minister and to find their grace. But Father, as you send us out, we begin to see and understand that that which you put on the inside of us is out of your great love for people. Move upon our hearts, Holy Spirit, so that we might understand and have the proper estimation through faith, that, that measurement point, how you measure everything, the just live by faith. Every day, accessing grace for day-to-day -day living. 
Instruct us, anoint us, God. That revelation of the anointing for each one. That there is a serving of people beyond what we would do, beyond what our comfort zone is. Not that we would become famous, but that you would become known by your goodness, the anointing that rests upon our life. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your goodness and your mercy. Thank you for your loving kindness. Thank you for great grace being bestowed upon us. Thank you, Lord. Father, right now we pray over this prayer cloth. In the name of Jesus, we thank you for your loving kindness. Your love that sent Jesus to the cross, your love that sent him to the whipping post. That he bore that punishment in his body that we might receive healing in our body. We thank you for the healing anointing. Saturates this cloth when it's taken to this body. Begins to radically change and alter things. Where they said there was death that it will bring life. Life by the Spirit of God. Life to their mortal body by the anointing of the Spirit of God because of the price that you already paid. We declare it. We lay hold of it on behalf of this individual. That in that your glory would be seen. Your goodness. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Praise the Lord. Say this, we go, what God did in Christ Jesus? Far exceeds. Any damage done to me? By Adam's fall. You can be dismissed. Make it a great week. Thank you.